You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome inside the Wheelhouse Podcast. I'm Aaron Goldsmith, alongside the general manager of the Mariners, Jerry Depotal. Colin O'Keefe is our producer. This is episode 49 of the podcast. However, Jerry, it is only our second episode on Root Sports. For the entire episode, you can always find us wherever you get your podcast. And Jerry, no time off for the Mariners after a long flight home, a delayed flight home from Boston yesterday. Now, the Mariners begin the homestand today against the Oakland A's. And bottom line, unfortunately, Jerry, it was a very difficult road trip for the Mariners. Uh, you say difficult, and I say awful. It was uh, it was a really rough one. And and what we have kind of surmised is this is a, a, a course correction. We played extremely well for the first 15 games of the season. We have played poorly since. And while we have turned what was a really good start into a very middling uh, first quarter of the season, we are at the 43 game mark about where we would have expected to be. It just happened very unevenly. And we just have to go through the perhaps the roughest string of schedule that we're going to, to see with a really a, a very good Boston Red Sox team that's now righted the ship. The New York Yankees who have been magical and how they've battled back despite the injuries. A, a variety of first place teams, the Cubs, we've seen the Astros, we will see the, the Minnesota Twins this weekend. We've played our seven with the Indians. We've, we've seen a lot of good baseball teams these last three, four weeks, and we've not been one of them. So it is time for us to get healthy and back on track. If there was a positive from the road trip in 10 games, your ball club put together six quality starts. Mike Leake was impressive in his two outings. You say Kikuchi in particular. He goes tonight in advance of game one against the Oakland A's. I mean, in Cleveland, it was the fastball, which was the best fastball we've seen from him. And then in New York, the best curveball that we've seen from Kikuchi. I think, you know, Yusei has gotten progressively better with each outing. And we talked about it last time. The the one-inning start for him against Texas Rangers, something seemed to click for him in that outing with his, his stuff. We've seen fastball velocity crawl up to 97 miles an hour. We saw it in Anaheim uh, versus Mike Trout. But it was fleeting. It wasn't consistent. And in the outing versus the Indians in Cleveland, what we saw with consistent velocity, the explosive quality of the ball at the top of the zone, and the way he started to use his secondary pitches – And then with the touch and feel he had on his breaking stuff in New York, we're starting to see start after start him morph from maybe the the crafty lefty who built stadiums and and conferred with with Wade (laughs) and Marco uh, to maybe more of a power lefty. And, And while doing so, he's able to keep both elements. He's got some of the touch and feel. He's got the ability to go softer with the curveball and go power with the the fastball and the slider. And it's 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 very intriguing. He's he's got awesome stuff, and I think he's just now growing into his confidence. With as quickly as the league can adjust now, with all the data, all the video, how soon are we approaching the point to where now the book on Kikuchi gets out, and now he has to start adjusting? I think it's already there, you know, and it may have been there from the very start because we have so much information that also comes from the MPB. 
you know, the, the Nippon Professional League, they also use TrackMan and a lot of the same measurables that we use. And each of us in the league has some type of relationship, whether it be personal or a business relationship with one of the Japanese teams, that they'll feed us with the information that we're looking for in some kind of Lend-Lease program. We'll send them scouting reports. They send us the data we're looking for. And in some ways, that really enhanced our knowledge of Yusei before we ever signed them. A lot of new faces appeared in a Mariners uniform on the road trip, and some guys, there were some big acquisitions for you during the course of the winter. First, let's talk J.P. Crawford came up. We saw him in Boston at Fenway Park, got a base hit right away in a Mariners uniform, looked good at shortstop. What'd you make of J.P.? Yeah, I was really proud of J.P. You know, he didn't have a very good spring training with the bat, and uh, made per- progress working with Perry Hill on the defensive side all spring. And when we sat down and, and sent him back to AAA, it was a tough pill for him to swallow. He knows that this is his time and, and talked to him at that point about just going down and getting the bat going and promised him in that moment that once the bat got going, nothing was going to get in his way. And uh, we made good on that by calling him up in Boston. Our intent was not to call him up until today and, and have him join the team today for the, the homestand and just and play. Just go play, and, and he'll be here, we hope, for the long haul. And, you know, JP's a good player. Uh, he's, he's doing all the right things. He's always had good strike zone judgment. I think you saw that this weekend in Boston. He's shown a little bit more pop this year than he has in the last couple, maybe since he was in Reading a couple of years ago. But he's got a very good swing. He's an athletic guy. He has all the tools to be a five-tool type player. And while none of them are gaudy, you know, he's, he doesn't have, as we in the scouting world would call, 60 and 70 type tools. He does everything average to plus. And, you know, when you put enough average to plus together at a middle infield position with an instinct to play, you get a really good player. And we think that's what J.P. Crawford turns out to be in the long run. It was interesting hearing him talk about his relationship with Perry Hill. Even before the season began, J.P. said that Perry Hill saved his career, which I found very interesting given the fact that he's played essentially less than a full season in the majors entering this year. How vital is that relationship, and how much have you seen him grow defensively already? Uh, the the defensive growth has been – really, you can't even measure it. It's a, It's been that much. It's the way he keeps his feet moving. It's the focus on on the throws. It's it's the focus on getting your feet in position to make throws. And you know, very rarely does JP get sloppy anymore. And I would say the first couple of days, as he started working with Perry down in Peoria, you know, there were a lot of times where he just gets sloppy and. I remember seeing him after the first workout with Bone down in Peoria, and he came walking in from outside and he said, "Boy, that was intense on day one." And you know, it's a, and he's really he's he's really ascended to what Perry brings, and and I think some of that is due to to the advice or maybe encouragement that he got from D. Gordon, who has has definitely worshipped at the at the altar of Perry Hill along the way. And I think all of our infielders have, have really – we've had a really, I guess, mercurial month or month and a half playing a lot of guys out of position, asking people to do what they're maybe not capable of doing and filling in and recreating our defense to, to use our personnel. But now we feel like with the, with the arrival of J.P. Crawford, with Kyle Seeger's return on the horizon, D. Gordon's excellent at second base, we're, we're starting to get back to normal. And, and hopefully that will prove to be beneficial to both our pitching staff and our, our win column. 
Here's hoping that Shed Long becomes, at some point in his career, a regular in a Mariners uniform. And I feel like when and if that happens, there will be a lot of kids in the Northwest who say their favorite player is Shed Long. Just because he's just such a cool dude to look at on the field, no matter where he is at second base, anywhere else defensively, or in the batter's box. It was a hugely emotional moment. And we could tell, even from up in the booth, watching Shed make his debut at Fenway Park took his parents out to the Monster after the first game that he played to take pictures. There was a really emotional embrace with Shed and his folks uh, who were in seats right by the field. Uh, this has to be one of the great feelings for you as a general manager to watch these young men make their major league debuts. It really is. and I, I think so far this year, we lead the league in debuts. <laughs> <laughs> we have, so we have had a lot of guys, and you know, Shed among them, and not the newest. You know, we, we have had some, some others since then, but... You know, Shed's a great guy. He is. He's a, he's a, a, a ball of dynamite. He's fun. He's energetic. Uh, we're going to work on getting him some windshield wipers for his goggles <laughs> on a rainy day. But, you know, otherwise, I, he he makes good swing decisions. He has real power for a guy that's 5'8 and, and looks more athletic than muscular. Is a, he's got some real pop. And he's a good hitter, and he has shown versatility. He's played second, third, left field, and Tacoma. And we're going to give him the opportunity to do those same things while he's here. Tell us about Parker Markell, a young man who had spent a decade in the minor leagues, most recently, before this year at least, in independent league baseball, trying to latch on with an organization. And just the other day, on Sunday at Fenway Park, he makes his long-anticipated major league debut, had pitched well for Tacoma. Uh, that was a very emotional day for Parker, no doubt. There's, I would imagine that that may have been more emotional than it was for Shed Long, because I think when... When we broke camp in Peoria, Shed Long realized in that moment how close he was to the big leagues and, and that before long he was going to be here. And, you know, Parker probably didn't think that way. He was in minor league camp, signed out of the independent leagues. Uh, great job by our independent league scout, Ross Vecchio, who, you know, went out and, and provided a list of, you know, we, we picked up a couple of guys that are very valuable to the organization right now. And Parker Markell stands out as, as maybe the, the most shocking story of the group. You know, Parker's always been a good pitcher. He, he was very good in the Tampa organization during his years there. At 25 years old, he tapped out in AAA, had a good year in the International League, and just wound up in a loaded system not fitting with what Tampa was doing. And then inexplicably wasn't signed by anybody and wound up going over to Korea. And before he ever got the opportunity to play in Korea, he pulled the plug, as I understand it, didn't want to follow through or go through with it. And instead came back here and played in the independent leagues, as I, as I understand it, by the urging of his wife, you know, don't quit yet. And, and he has a good arm. And he came into this season having gone through some overhaul of his own throwing in the mid to upper 90s at a breaking ball that at times has just been unhittable. And his strikeout numbers so far between Arkansas, Tacoma, and, and what we hope is going to translate here in Seattle have been absurd. It's been almost Nintendo Little League type stuff where you, you can't imagine. He's striking out roughly two an inning for, at the upper levels of the minors, which is just insane. In AA, his K per nine was 21.13. In AAA, it was 15.83. Just absurd <laughs> it's numbers. crazy stuff. I had the opportunity, uh, Kelly Monroe and I swung down to Tacoma last week and actually had the chance to talk with Parker for about 10, 15 minutes. And yeah, it was just so cool to talk to a guy who's 28 years old. He's been a professional for baseball for 10 years. 
And I mean, this is a guy that, like you mentioned, went to Korea, but even not that long ago was working for a hot air balloon company, setting up hot air balloons. And this is a guy where, yeah, you have Shed Long, who's knocking on the door, and then you have somebody at the complete other end of the spectrum whose wife had to encourage him to keep going. And yeah, it's cool to see that, that to see him make his debut at Fenway and hopefully, you know, stick around for a little while. He's got great stuff. And, that, you know, his first outing in Arkansas, I happened to be watching, you know, minor league baseball TV, which we get a lot of our games on MILB TV, and it's great footage now. But the in watching his first outing, he had a multi-inning outing down in Arkansas, and it was just a variety of 96, 97-mile-an-hour fastballs at the top of the zone, followed by like a wiffle ball type of slider that sometimes looked like a curveball and it sometimes looked like a slider. And the vantage point that they were giving you on the camera angle behind home plate looked something like Bob Gibson in the 68 World Series. You know, and, and you're thinking they, they, they couldn't even hit a foul ball. And he was facing a, a, a Tulsa team at the time that was loaded with major league veteran players, you know, guys like Chris Parmalee. And I mean, I think their average age in Tulsa was either uber prospect like Gavin Lux or somebody with six years of major league service. And, and uh, you know, and Parker ran through him like a hot knife through butter. And I thought this guy's going to wind up pitching for us in the big leagues this year. I spoke to him when I talked to him in Tacoma. I made the funny note that, hey, man, you, these these bullpen arms can come from anywhere. I mean, the you see who, who might be the best arm in our bullpen right now might be Brandon Brennan. And oddly, uh, during, I think, the spring or the offseason, he said that his catch partner during the offseason was Brandon Brennan. So it was a very weird connection. But, yeah, he's a kid out of uh, nearby Peoria, uh, Glendaleish area, and yeah, just latched on. It's cool to see. And if not for the fact that he was right there, and Ross Vecchio locked him up with the opportunity to come over and throw privately for us at, at our facility, I, we may never have run into to Parker. And I, and my guess is that we'll see a lot of them because uh, you don't strike out that many guys at this level of baseball in accident. One of the great moments on this road trip was watching Braden Bishop come up with his first career big league base hit with all the roster moves that happened at the end of the road trip in Boston he was optioned back down to Tacoma but it was an incredibly classy move and gesture by the organization before he goes back to the minors had a chance on Mother's Day as he found the news on Mother's Day Eve that he'd be going back to the minors the organization sent him away to go be with his mother of course Braden a wonderful human being as, as good of a human if not better as he is a ball player which is saying something his mother dealing with Alzheimer's of course Braden has the four mom charity that was something I'm sure that he will never forget the organization did for him. You know, and kudos to Tim Heavily uh, and to Jack Mossman, our, our VP of Baseball Information, and Jack Mossman, our, our Director of Major League Operations, uh, subs in as our traveling secretary. Uh, both do a great job. And, you know, th- this was a collaboration on their part. When we were talking about th- these roster moves and understanding that we had to make quick turnaround – and and Braden wound up becoming one of the guys left on the cutting room floor because we needed pitching to get in there immediately. I think Tim suggested this, and Jack called me and asked if, if this was something that we should consider, and absolutely. Uh, it didn't take two seconds. That's a fantastic idea, and, and good for Bish. He, he took advantage of it and went home and spent the time with his mom, like he should have. Tonight, in advance of the game one of the homestand, uh, a new face who would have guessed, Jerry, is joining Another the Mariners' bullpen. Uh, Austin Adams, uh, who hasn't pitched in the big league since 2016, is now in a Mariners uniform. What can you tell us about him? You know, Austin, he has a huge arm. Uh, it's Austin has a – I was a little familiar with him from a uh, past experience. He was in the Angels system uh, before I left the Angels, and uh, he will get up 
close to 100 miles an hour with his fastball. He has a wicked slider. You know, what we call our pitch grades. And Joel Furman and our analytics group do a phenomenal job of, of creating our own internal metrics where we can measure the what we think the value or impact of a given pitch is based on all of the traits of that pitch and and uh austin's fastball and slider quality jump off the the charts and you know like some of the other guys that we've taken chances on here in the early going for austin it's always been about command you know when he throws the ball over the plate he's very hard to hit and he's very effective and and so far in triple a he's been fantastic not just for us but in his time with washington and when we had the chance to pick him up we we went for it because you know it, like we talked about with Parker, this is a guy who's 28 years old. He's got a major league career in front of him. He still has an option left. Throws in the upper 90s with a wicked breaking ball. And the bullpen arms come from all over. And if we have enough guys that throw in the mid to upper 90s with wicked breaking balls, sooner or later somebody's going to throw them over the plate. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on on the farm. Uh, Mariners.com slash blog is the best place to find some up-to-the-minute information on Mariners' farm system. Shed Long was recently profiled there on the blog. And how about DTW, Dom Thompson-Williams for the AA Arkansas Travelers going into Mother's Day, a 300, 400, 500 slash line. What in the world is going on with Dom Thompson-Williams? You know, it's, it's fun to talk about Dom because all of the, the, the profile prospects that are in our system right now or that we've acquired over the course of this, this past offseason, we've talked ad nauseum about Jared Kelnick and the wonderful things he's done and, and Julio Rodriguez and, and how engaging he is as a, as a huge upside prospect. Kyle Lewis and the fact that he's now playing healthy. And, and I'd like to talk about some of the wonderful things he's doing that don't really show up. But the guy who always gets lost in the shuffle is DTW, and 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 he's gone out and performed as well or better than anybody. It's uh, he's been on a phenomenal run for the last I'd say month, where he's he is banging, he's hitting consistently, he's playing good defense, he's stealing bases, and all the things that we saw when we asked for him in the trade from New York he, are, are playing through on the field. And you know he is a, a tick older than the rest of the group. He's 24 this year. So, you know, it's his chance to make a big move. And I think, you know, he and Jake Fraley have probably been the, the two most consistent bats in that Arkansas lineup from day one. And, and right now they're both putting themselves in position to be considered sooner than later for an opportunity at the levels above. What were some of the things you were just referencing about Kyle? You know, Kyle, it's his from an OPS or a batting average standpoint, his numbers are good, not great to this point, but his swing decisions and his exit velocities are phenomenal. I mean, like elite level good. And, you know, at some point that you're going to start seeing the results meet up with the process with Kyle. He's healthy. He's confident. He's hitting the ball hard. He's making good swing choices. And I, I think there's, to me, I don't know if it's this month. I don't know if it's next month. But at some point, we're going to see that that breakout for Kyle Lewis because what he's doing right now is really exciting. We're just we're not seeing it in the traditional statistics. We're seeing it in more of the advanced stuff. We don't have the full look that you guys have, but his walk rate is currently at 15.8%, which is higher by four points than it's ever been at any level previous in his career. So it's, I mean, it's not full in-zone, out-of-zone chase stuff, but something, and you can see it's taken upward. It really is. And, and right now he's hitting the ball as harder, harder than anyone in our system and most in all of the minor leagues. It's uh, he is, His exit velos and, and just consistent barrel contact has been notable. 
How about a switch hitting catcher? Cal Raleigh, a former third-round draft pick, former Seminole out of Florida State, got his dip his toe into the pro ball water last year with Everett. We saw him in Peoria a little bit this year. Uh, recently, a couple of home runs over a three-day stretch, uh, bringing up his overall season numbers. What's going on with Cal? Uh, you know, Cal got off to a slow start. We, we pushed Cal pretty hard. You know, he was a late sign. He played in Everett last summer and didn't get the, the full allocation of at-bats like a lot of the guys do coming out of the draft. And rather than stop him in the Sally League in West Virginia, we jumped him right to Modesto. He's an advanced college player who played big conference college baseball and was a really good collegian. And you know we felt like as a switch hitter who, knew how, who understood control of the strike zone and a pretty advanced defender that it would be a challenge he would meet. Uh, got off to a slow start in Modesto and has really started to pick it up of late. Another guy who's making pretty good swing decisions, who hits the ball hard, and he's got power from both sides of the plate. And and we also are wildly encouraged by the receiving that, that we get from Cal Raleigh. It's a, we think, not just above average, but well above average receiver and game caller. And very excited about where his future lies. I'm going to tell you something funny about Cal Raleigh. Cal, clearly the youngest guy in Major League Spring training, you know, coming right out of the draft, uh, a junior draft. And he comes into camp, and it was probably an unusual thing for him, but you always need six or seven catchers in the spring. And and we view Cal as a future everyday guy in the big leagues because of the the, the catch throw and the fact that he's a switch hitter. Uh, It's just – it's – it's shoehorn it's easy and he comes into camp as the young guy and he's taking his his first at bat in the live bps and his very first swing he takes a a full hack swing and miss loses the bat and swings it around throws it right in our dugout and almost clocks ichiro (laughs) so his first swing almost takes out the legend and then we go over, and he's catching his first bullpen. And you're familiar with the six-packs, the mounds down in, in Peoria. He's, he's catching a, a bullpen, and the very first pitch that's thrown to him, he, he goes to toss it back. I believe it was Wade LeBlanc who was throwing to him, goes to throw it back, and he clanks it off the roof. <laughs> so it's a, he throws it straight into the roof. And I thought, ah, poor Cal, he can't get out of the way, man. This is, it, it finds you when you're the young guy. But – he does a lot of things right on the baseball field. We think he has real leadership skills, and I'm really excited to see him get on track. He's got seven home runs already, and we're just into the middle of May. So it's, it should shape up to be a nice year for him. So improvement for Cal from spring training. There's big steps up. forward. Big steps forward. <laughs> I'm curious, when you referenced how good of a receiver he is, how much data do you and all 29 other teams have on that particular metric for amateur players? So this is where we think we have uh, – I guess an advantage in that we have an analyst, John Chenier, who is solely committed to catching metrics. So from literally from high school, more so at college, and then through every level of the minor leagues, John puts out a weekly report on kind of who are the best framers in, in the league. And, and he also takes uh, pitch qualities combines them with lineups faced and turns out something that we think is generally uh, a reasonable estimator of how well a catcher calls a game based on opponent's weaknesses and and the strengths of, of, a, of a pitcher. So if Marco Gonzalez is pitching and Omar Narvaez is catching against the, the Oakland A's, 
we, we've got a pretty good idea of how that lineup should be pitched with Marco's stuff. Therefore, we should have an idea of how Omar calls the game. And we can do the same thing on down through every level of baseball, even at the college level, based on the information we have. And John does a phenomenal job and turns around a report on a weekly basis that gives us an idea of who the best are out there. And we think Cal is exceptional. He, he's a pretty good way up the food chain. Because I love a good analyst story, John Chenier, previously like a chemist at the University of Washington and also a baseball prospectus alumni as well. But Drinks his coffee from a beaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean. He's a scientist. I, I, it is it does make me wonder. We we learn on the podcast on a regular basis about guys like John who have their very specialized niche within the organization. How much has that grown in terms of how many analysts you have brought on and how very specific each one's role has become in the last three plus years, Jerry? Yeah, it's it's a phenomenal group, and and kudos to Jesse Smith. Jesse's our director of analytics. He's built a great group. You know, I've it, just in this episode we talked about Joel Furman, whose primary focus is on on pitching. And he has he has many other skills, but primarily focused on on the pitching end. He works very closely with Brian DeLunis, who's our director of pitching strategy, with Paul Davis, our major league pitching coach, with our advanced groups, and with Max Weiner, who who operates oversees our, our minor league pitching. Uh, Joel is involved in all of that. You know, John Schneer, I just talked about the, his primary focus. There are many other things he does, but. All of the detail I just described with the catching, that has become mostly his baby. Uh, Emily Curtis, Forrest Diamond, David Hesselink, who's not technically part of the, the analytics group, but has an analytical mind. Um, they're, they're all chipping in and making contributions in this area on a daily basis. Jesse's grown the group. We've Everyone I just mentioned, uh, with the exception of Jesse, has started at some point from 2016 to today whether it was early on as an intern like Joel or, or hired full-time almost immediately like John and you know, coming from a much different background or field. So it's a, it's a growing group. Uh, we're very proud of what they do, and they, they've become kind of integral to all of the decisions that we make based on the information that they're able to turn around. How about some injury updates? It was tough to see Felix land on the injured list. Before the road trip, Felix had put together some – really the best four starts that we've seen from Felix in consecutive order in years. Four straight six-plus inning starts, had a hard time in New York, three home runs, and then, of course, an early exit and trip to the injured list after the start against the Red Sox. What's going on with that shoulder? You know, and I agree with you. The the three or four starts before that East Coast swing, it was as good as we've seen Felix in my time with the Mariners. It's, uh, you know, early on in 16, he had a good run. But nothing quite as good as I think what we've seen these last three or four prior to that the trip. And I don't know where we are with his shoulder quite yet. And you know the the initial uh, I guess doctor opinion in Boston was that it might have something more to do with the lap than the shoulder. You know both are interconnected. But he's going to have some imaging done today. We should have a little bit more information by game time. Uh, if not, then then post game tonight we'll have a pretty good idea where what Felix's status might be. We've been missing the neatest lefty in the league, Wade LeBlanc. Uh, is Wade getting close? Wade is getting close. He's actually going to start a, a rehab game tonight in Tacoma. He'll throw four innings, 60, 65 pitches, whatever comes first. We're hopeful that it's going to be maybe two outings, two rehab outings, and then he's back. So, you know, obviously we're going to have to make a decision on who fills in for Felix. Uh, that should take care of itself is, is my, my guess. 
and we will have Wade back, I would think, no later than next week. So when we go out on the road for that Texas-Oakland stretch, Wade should be back. And, you know, I don't imagine it's going to be sooner than that, but I don't suspect it'll be much longer either. Her son, Batista, was a big arm you acquired for the Mets during the offseason. We saw the injury in spring training, and his rehab has started. How is he progressing? Uh, throwing very hard. <laughs> oh, is really? That, like you might imagine. <laughs> Another guy who throws in the upper 90s with a with a wicked slider. On his rehab, he's been up to 101. His uh, average velocity has been about 98. And, you know, the, the his last outing, not great results. Uh, not poor, but not great. For the most part, he's been overpowering, and it started down in Peoria. It has now shifted to Modesto, where both he and Sam Tuiviala are doing their thing on rehab, and they're both progressing. I would say Sam is is starting to get a little excited because we're starting to see an uptick in the stuff and the success, and you know, and with Batista, I think we've seen the the stuff from the very start now it's just a matter of him honing in his command and you know once he does that his stuff over the plate is is at times unhittable and it's uh it's exciting what's coming out right now I mean, when you see the game reports and it's 98 and 99 night after night and when we're getting the reports they're both in modesto and and you guys both know the bullpen that we have in modesto it's like a variety of the hardest throwers that, that I've ever been had the privilege to have in a system. Between you know, the Sam Delaplane, we've got we've got um, Jake Haber, we've got Joey Gerber, we've got a number of guys that are I, on the low end. You got like a 95, 96, and on the high end, multiple guys that'll tap out at a hundred. And, and having Batista and Sam there, it, it makes it a really fun club to watch. Unfortunately, we stopped scoring in Modesto, but you know our bullpen can hold them down. And on a day-to-day basis, you might be facing Logan Gilbert and then one of those guys, or LJ Newsom and then one of those guys. So it's pretty fun. Fun pitching. It, oddly enough, in the Cal League, it, you you typically stumble into some offense. You know, and Joe Rizzo has been terrific this year down in the in Modesto, and for the most part, Louis Liberato has has been a, a stabilizing force in the middle of that lineup. And most of the rest of the offense really hasn't got on track until very recently when Cal Raleigh started to get it going. And you know, what has kept the Modesto team going is the fact that we've got one of the you know one of the better pitching staffs in the league, and that wasn't what we expected when the season started. You know, a lot of pop-up guys like LJ bullpen. We expected those guys to be good. What Reggie McLean has done through the course of this year has now you know earned him a promotion to Arkansas. But a really good pitching group down there. I'm always excited for Stump JD. Oh my god! I am especially yeah. excited for Stump JD today. Like. I mean, I'm all, like I'm a nine out of ten on a regular. I'm a ten out of ten on Stump JD today because I think you know it. I think you know the answer. See, you say this to me, and then you pop some crazy no, questions. This, this is like a very niche thing, but I think it's been talked about <laughs> enough that I think you got an idea. And uh, the Mariners are facing Mike Fires in Game One of the homestand. Fires just threw his second career no hitter. That happened. <laughs> it did. It did. Happen. I find it fascinating, as I'm sure you do. He has two career complete games. He did not allow a hit in either of them. Uh, which is fairly uh, surprising. Now, of course, Nolan Ryan owns the most no-hitters, and it's not close. He has seven no-hitters. That would be too easy of a Stump JD. Okay. Be like the, I would have got that one. Yeah, that would be the double-A version of Stump JD. Jerry, what I want to know, in Nolan Ryan's career, how many one-hitters did he throw? <sighs> oh. Now, come on. You're a, you know this. You're a pitcher, right? I mean, you're 16. all— 16. You're pretty close. 
you were, I thought this was like common knowledge. I thought this was a thing. You're pretty close. Do you want to? I'll give you one more guess. No, because it'd be just a guess. <laughs> I thought the answer was 16. Jerry, he threw a dozen one hitters. I knew it was a big number. No. That amazing. I mean, it's amazing. What I, want, I would really like to know, I really like to see video of each of the one hits. And I mean, did somebody, how many laces to the gap were there? And how many just jam jobs off the thumb, broken bat, flare, dumping? I mean, you can make the case that he had bad luck only throwing seven no-hitters, right? Especially when he was young, you know. The Nolan Ryan that I saw, I I had the the fortune, and Nolan was one of my heroes growing up, especially coming through the minor league. Which is why I thought, for the record, that you would know the answer. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Uh, Nolan, I had the the privilege of – I was actually there uh, when he won his last major league game. It was against the Cleveland Indians in Cleveland Stadium, uh, an old municipal stadium in 1993. And, and I saved the ticket. I still have it. There's my wife went to the game, and I, I have the, the ticket. Um, Nolan Ryan, my favorite Nolan Ryan moment was when we, well, this personally, we were walking through. You know, we used to have in 1993, we used to have to walk through the airports. So it's, that was the thing, you know. With the we, common people. Yeah. Can you imagine? So we would, we would walk through the airport with your bags, and, and we happened to get to Texas shortly after the Nolan Ryan, Robin Ventura, you know, charge of the yes. mound, ill-advised charge of the mound. And they had a T-shirt hanging out in one of the, the shops, one of the airport shops, with Nolan Ryan had, had Ventura in the headlock, you know, beating on his head. And... I saw the T-shirt and I said, I have to have it. And I, I, I went in and I paid my 20 bucks and I got the T-shirt and I wore that T-shirt underneath my, my uniform for the rest of the season. And I, and I, and I had a, what I think for me was a good rookie year. And, and, uh, and, then, and then I left the T-shirt at a, at a ballpark on rehab the next spring, never saw it again. And my second year was far less good. <laughs> I wasn't protected by Nolan Ryan. The... We went down to play the Rangers when I was a, a rookie, and and I pitched against the Rangers one night. It might have been the best stuff that I ever had in a major league game, like physical stuff. And I got a save that night against the Rangers. And I, and I, there are days where you come off and you're thinking, man, I, I got away with it there. Or there are days where you come off thinking, that was good. I came off thinking that was good that day. And I went to the ballpark the next day, and I'm getting my running in in the outfield. And Nolan Ryan is is you know doing his his work, and he worked his tail off, and he's doing like his duck walks across the outfield. He would do these walking lunges from line to line, which is I mean they, they'll you do ten of them, and, it, and you know it gets your thighs burning. And he'd just go line to line, and at the time I believe he was forty five years old, 44, 45 years old, and. And uh, I'm laying uh, in the corner doing my abdominal work after I'm finished with my running, and Nolan comes, you know, duck walking over, and he stands up on the other side of the, the field, gets up from his, his lunges, and he said, you threw the ball good last night. Keep throwing it like that. You'll be in this, this league a long time. I didn't have words. I, I, I almost choked. I, I said, thank you, thank you. And he turned around and started duck walking back. <laughs> and I – and I ran from the – this is a true story. I ran from the foul line to the concourse. This is at old Arlington Stadium in Texas. I ran to the concourse and called my dad collect from the payphone that was on the, 
This is before cell phones. The, the payphone that was on the concourse, I called him. I said, you are not going to believe what Nolan Ryan just said to me. And it seemed so inconsequential to Nolan. He was just being nice. You know? And I it, probably wouldn't remember it, and I remember it like it was yesterday. It was, a, it was the coolest thing. I could not wait to go. That was my shed long moment. Yes, great call. That's a great story. I was, was that's my Nolan Ryan. You know, you'll enjoy this with the longevity of Nolan Ryan. I I look, clicked on the box score for his first one hitter, which was in 1970 against the Phillies, and uh, the opposing starting pitcher was Jim Bunning. I clicked on the box score for his last no hitter, which was almost 20 years to the date. It was in April of 1990 against the White Sox, and Sammy Sosa was in right field. I mean, his one hitters spanned Jim Bunning to Sammy, Sammy Sosa. Sosa. I mean, it's ridiculous. He was around for. Ever. That's right. And no Tommy John. There's there's, Nolan Ryan, his legendary for his his work and his preparation. And I think he was he prepared in the 70s, but what the way he elevated his game, the preparation and the process in the 80s and 90s was unbelievable. I don't know if you can match what he was doing without just killing yourself it's uh, <laughs> it, it, what he was doing at his age and to still be doing it as a power pitcher was was pretty unbelievable and throwing an un- obscene number of innings which today even now if you if you go talk to nolan ryan about the you know the, the maybe the average innings per outing in the american league right now is about five and a third for a starting pitcher which is shocking i mean we're, we're second or third in the league going into this past road trip and we were five and three quarters innings, uh, and uh, and for Nolan, that that is a hot topic. You, I mean, you, you dig say. in, and he will he will get very verbose. And what he thinks about the fact that pitchers are throwing five innings pop for starters. Nineteen seventy four, he threw three hundred and thirty two innings, <laughs> <laughs> with with about three hundred and eighty punch outs. Jerry, let's get to some listener questions. Uh, Nate checking in at True to the Blue oh nine and. He would like to know your thoughts on Julio Rodriguez entering MLB Pipeline's top 100 prospects list and uh, which prospects you hope to see on that list by season's end for the Mariners. You know, Julio is getting closer to a return, which we're excited for, but um, really deserves to be on that list. We thought he was not just deserved to be on that list, but deserved to be considerably higher entering the offseason. And I think I was uh, pretty outspoken this past offseason. We've been asked a lot on on Julio, especially with some of the the you know acquisitions we've made over the last two years. Some of those you know marginal roster upgrades that we have made, where we tend to trade off someone from down low to get someone a little closer to the big leagues, as we were in our contending window. Almost every time that we called on one of those type players, they would ask for Julio Rodriguez. And you know, I, the fact is that I am often an idiot, but that would have been an idiotic moment. So we held on to him. He deserves to be there. We think he's certainly not just one of the top 100 prospects in the game, but you know, time will tell. He's 18 years old, but he should be higher. Um, I think you're going to see a number of guys in our system take big jumps. The guy who most likely surfaces on one of those lists, who's not been on one yet, is Logan Gilbert. And you know, Logan. It, Due to mono, didn't pitch last year, so didn't get a lot of love coming into the prospect season. But my guess is he's going to get it uh, this next time around. And a lot of the the groups, you know, Fangraphs does it, Baseball America does it, and I know the the dot com pipeline does it. About the midway point in the season, they put their midway up, you know, update out there, and I think you'll see, you know, a, a big jump forward by Jared Kelnick 
you'll see Logan Gilbert show up on one of those lists. And I'd be surprised if you didn't see on the tail end of that top 100 guys like DTW or Jake Fraley start to scratch it because they're, you know, they're pretty good. David checked in via email. Remember, you can always email the podcast at uh, thewheelhouseatmariners.com. And in our last episode, Jerry, you made a reference to James Holzauer, who is uh, just ripping Jeopardy to shreds. He's living living uh, nothing but scorched earth behind him. And as I'm sure you heard, he's a huge baseball fan, and he has talked about how he wants to uh, break into baseball in some form in the front office. And it sounds like, as we were talking about John earlier, I mean, this is something that is not unprecedented for somebody like that to make their way into a front office. And David thinks that James would be a needed asset for you for Stump JD, just There's, for preparation. I'm guessing he won't get it wrong. <laughs> did you know, and this is a, this is a did you know, my godson is, is a Jeopardy champion. Uh, what? Yeah, he's a Jeopardy champion. Jason Strelacki uh, is, a, uh, is a Jeopardy champion. He actually competed in the uh, Circle of Champions as well. So he's like a real deal then. Yeah, is he pretty sharp? And um, should I give you a phone a friend for Stump JD next time? You can give him a call. I can get a lifeline. <laughs> I can I can go to the Jeopardy. Uh, we, we tend to think we the Mariners, our our baseball front office especially, we think outside the box often. We 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 do tend to be creative, and we don't mind trying things that no one has tried before because I think that's the way you create advantage if if you've got 30 teams and everyone does it the same way the, the results are probably going to turn out that whoever spends the most money winds up winning so it, it, do something creative find advantage most likely you're going to find your advantage in human capital that's the way it goes it's every, it's the only way you get smarter is, is to invest in people now, for, for all the, the artificial intelligence we might be able to create, nothing really helps you like creative ideas that are going to come from the human beings that may think in a different way than the traditional baseball mindset. We've, we've learned the hard way through the course of time that, you know, that there are certainly more creative ways to, to crack the atom. And even today, we're still trying to talk them into there being different ways. We'll wrap things up going around the horn. Uh, the Mariners, as we record this, are getting ready for game one of two against the A's. Mariners value games presented by BECU tonight, Monday, and tomorrow, Tuesday. Also Thursday as well when the Twins come to town. New level and bleacher seats, only 15 bucks. Friday is both Mariners trucker hat night and also college night. And Saturday, Ken Griffey Jr. rookie year bobblehead night. The first 20,000 fans taking one of those beauties homes, which is patterned, by the way, after Junior's rookie card. You big baseball card guy, Jerry? When you were oh, growing up, huge, still, huge. You still have a big collection? I don't, but I but I did for a long, long time, well into my adult years. Really? Oh, how, yeah. how did how did Mrs. Depoto feel about this? Uh, she she loved it for a while. I mean, you had and so then much it just got over anyway. You, yeah. had, you had a whole basement full of memorabilia. So what is a couple of cards anyway? Yeah, or, or, or a couple of million. Of them. <laughs> yeah, there were there were a lot. There were a lot. Jerry, as always, it's great catching up with you. Thanks for the time. You got there. Thanks.